Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Bunch going on that, you know, y'all need to know about. By the way, these are also things that might be useful for holiday dinners when the family is together and, and crazy Uncle Ralph starts talking about politics after having watched Fox News for the last year. He says, uh, oh, you know, there, there's no firsthand knowledge. This is all hearsay. Well, you know, we've actually now heard firsthand knowledge from Sondland and, and from others, you know, who heard Trump. But we would like to hear people who, you know, we'd, why isn't Mick Mulvaney testifying? He's the one who put a hold on the money to Ukraine. And then they'll say, well, you know, uh, I don't see where in the Constitution it says that attempting bribery is a crime. I mean, after all, it says president can be impeached for bribery, treason, or high crimes and misdemeanors, but attempted bribery? Attempted bribery is bribery. I mean, it's just that simple. If you walk into a bank and yell, this is a bank robbery, I mean, you know, with your finger in your pocket pointing out like you've got a gun, right? You don't even have a gun. You walk into a bank, you, you put your, your finger in your jacket pocket and make it look like you've got a gun in your coat, and you announce loudly, this is a robbery, give me all your money, and you get tackled by the guard and dragged away, you are not going to be able to defend yourself against charges of bank robbery by saying, why, they never gave me any money. For that matter, you can't defend yourself by saying, well, people walk into banks and make jokes all the time, right? Yeah, right, try it. Or try that at the TSA line. It's not a good idea. And of course, those people who simply say, well, you know, we should just, this is not the role of Congress. This is something for elections to decide. They're wrong. I mean, it's just that simple. They're wrong. There's an interesting piece over at uh, thenation.com. It's titled, There's a Philosophy Behind Trump's Lies by Karen Greenberg. And she points out his lies and all the things he's lied about, or, or a few of them, and, and how uh, Cheney and Bush did the same thing. And then she, she gets into uh, basically Hannah Arendt, uh, who I've, you know, I've read from several of her books on this program. You know, she's passed on, but she was uh, one of the great chroniclers of the Holocaust and of the rise of fascism in Germany and other countries as well. And she's talked about how when people do this, they change language. They cause language to have essentially new meanings. Like George W. Bush, instead of saying the people in Guantanamo are prisoners, he says they're detainees. Well, they've been detainees for 15 years. Um, instead of lawful enemy combatants, they become enemy combatants. In her book, Eichmann in, in uh, Jerusalem, Arant reminds us of these new language rules. Numbers. Numbers seem precise, right? When people quote numbers, people think that they're credible. She documents how Jeff Sessions lied about how many, the numbers of children who were separated from their families. The Trump administration has been lying about this, et cetera. Willful ignorance, withholding evidence, destruction of the record from, you know, Jose Rodriguez, the director of the CIA's National Clandestine Service. He destroyed the videotapes of the torture that the CIA was engaged in during the Iraq war, the illegal war that George Bush and Dick Cheney lied us into. Let us never forget. 
and then spreading conflicting facts and calling them facts. These are just, you know, basic strategy things. By the way, Lev Parnas, he's been arrested, and his lawyer actually has been arrested. <laughs> and he apparently today turned over to the House Intelligence Committee, which is, even though Congress as a whole is in recess, the House Intelligence Committee apparently is still meeting this week. Now, whether they're going to meet on Thanksgiving Day or the day after, I'm pretty skeptical, but they're apparently meeting this week. And Parnas has turned over to them several physical records in both English and Ukrainian that document basically that he believed when Rudy Giuliani asked him to basically set up this stuff in Ukraine to make it look like Democrats and Ukrainians were conspiring in 2016 against Donald Trump. And that absolutely did not happen. When he went over to try to set this stuff up and, you know, work out this deal, basically he's got recordings. And he says he has recordings of Donald Trump himself, audio and video, as well as some of his interactions with Giuliani. Now, if they're just grip and grin pictures, maybe. We don't know. We haven't seen them. But expect probably next week after Thanksgiving, I would expect to see Lev Parnas being deposed in public, in private first and then in public before the House Intelligence Committee. Where Devin Nunes, the ranking member, the number two guy, the leading Republican on the committee, looks like he's going down fast. He has been caught up in so many lies and he was involved with Parnas. In fact, Parnas could be brought before that committee to testify against Nunes, although Adam Schiff is trying to stay away from that as far as he can and let the uh, House, whichever committee it is that does oversight of, of ethics. I'm not sure if there's a House Ethics Committee, if it's a standalone committee that investigates that, or if that's part of the Oversight Committee. I, b I, believe, it's a, I believe that there's a separate committee, the House Ethics Committee. But in any case, he's trying to leave that to them. But you know, hey, this guy's the number two guy. But anyhow, uh, Parnas has been indicted on federal bribery charges. And his buddy Igor has been arrested because of this huge banking scandal. He's under investigation by the FBI. And both, there's a great piece about this in today's New York Times, why Giuliani singled out two Ukrainian oligarchs to help dig up dirt. And both were singled out by Giuliani. And it has to do with two Ukrainian oligarchs, a guy named Dmitry Firtash, he's a, a, a Ukrainian billionaire, and a guy named Ihor Kolomoisky, who's also a billionaire oligarch. Now, Kolomoisky is the guy who owns the TV network that the current president, Zelensky, played as a comedian, played the role of a non-corrupt president of Ukraine on before he became president of Ukraine. But... Furtash is under indictment in the United States on bribery and racketeering charges. He's facing extradition, and he's hiding out in Austria, I believe. And Giuliani and Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, they essentially went to him, and they said, if you hire these two lawyers, Victoria Tenzig and Joseph DeGeneva, this is according to this New York Times piece, if you hire these two Fox News lawyers who Donald Trump really loves, It'll help you get in tight with Trump, and then he'll, he'll uh, you know, blow up the extradition hearing, and you can avoid, you know, you, you no longer have to hide any longer. And according to, uh, according to the New York Times, in August of this, last, of this year, Tensik and DeGeneva were hired by this, by Furtash, by this Ukrainian billionaire oligarch. And Tensik and DeGeneva, these two Fox News lawyers, actually did go to Bill Barr at the Justice Department and said that uh, you really need to drop this, these extradition uh, stuff against uh, Furtash. Now, in the case of the billionaire who, uh, you know, was the former employer of the current president of Ukraine, Mr. Kolomoisky, when Lev and Igor went to him, he kicked them out of his office. I mean, it's, it's really almost funny. They said that they wanted to talk to him about a natural gas deal. And he was like, no. And then he said, and this is how the exchange went. He says, did you see a sign on the door that says meetings with Zelensky arranged here? And they said, no. And, and I said, well, then you've ended up in the wrong place. <laughs> he kicked them out of his office. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Absolutely amazing stuff. And we've got a new podcast up. It's over on Apple right now. It's called The Science Revolution with Tom Harbin. 
It's separate from our regular podcasts. It's free. Don't miss how the insect apocalypse could affect all life on Earth. Also, find out about the forever chemicals contained in our water with the senior scientist David Andrews. In geeky science, take note if you're stressed out, pay attention. Other topics include how Fox News thinks liberals are causing California wildfires, Trump fighting the wind, and why Berkeley, the city in California, is banning natural gas. And, and don't miss the one sure thing you can do to stop death. Right, to slow down the rate at which you may die. It's The Science Revolution with Tom Hartman. It's over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It should be available. This is The Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Michael Lewis's new book, The Fifth Risk. And this is from the prologue, which is titled Lost in Transition. Chris Christie noticed a piece in the New York Times. That's how it all started. The New Jersey governor had dropped out of the presidential race in February 2016 and thrown what support he had behind Donald Trump. In late April, he saw the article. It described meetings between representatives of the remaining candidates still in the race, Trump, John Kasich, Ted Cruz, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders, and the Obama White House. Anybody who still had any kind of shot at becoming president of the United States apparently needed to start preparing to run the federal government. The guy Trump sent to the meeting was, in Christie's estimations, comically underqualified. Christie called up Trump's campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, to ask why this critical job hadn't been handed to someone who actually knew something about government. Lewandowski said, we don't have anyone. Christie volunteered himself for the job, head of the Donald Trump presidential transition team. It's the next best thing to being president, he told friends. You get to plan the presidency. He went to see Trump about it. Trump said he didn't want a presidential transition team. Why did anyone need to plan anything before he actually became president? It's legally required, said Christie. Trump asked where the money was going to come from to pay for the transition team. Christie explained that Trump could either pay it for it himself or take it out of campaign funds. Trump didn't want to pay for it himself, and he didn't want to take it out of campaign funds either, but he agreed grudgingly that Christie could go ahead and raise a separate fund to pay for his transition team. But not too much, he said. And so Christie set out to prepare for the unlikely event that Donald Trump would one day be elected president of the United States. Not everyone in Trump's campaign was happy to see him on the job. In June, Christie received a note from Trump advisor Paul Manafort. The kid is paranoid about you, Manafort said. The kid was Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law. Back in 2005, when he was U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey, Christie had prosecuted and jailed Kushner's father, Charles, for tax fraud. Christie's investigation revealed in the bargain that Charles Kushner had hired a prostitute to seduce his own brother-in-law, whom he suspected of cooperating with Christie, had videotaped the sexual encounter and sent the tape to his sister. The Kushners apparently took their grudges seriously, and Christie sensed that Jared still harbored one against him. On the other hand, Trump, whom Christie considered almost a friend, couldn't have cared less. He'd invited Christie to his and Melania's wedding, and he pressed him to attend his daughter, Ivanka, and Jared Kushner's wedding. That would be awkward, said Christie. I'm paying for the wedding, and I don't give an S, said Donald. Christie viewed Jared as one of those people who thinks that because he's rich, he must also be smart. Still, he had a certain cunning about him. And Christie soon found himself reporting everything he did to prepare for a Trump administration to an executive committee. The committee consisted of Jared, Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Paul Manafort, Steve Mnuchin, and Jeff Sessions. I'm kind of like the church elder who double counts the collection plate every Sunday for the pastor, said Sessions, who appeared uncomfortable with the entire situation. The elder's job became more complicated in July 2016 when Trump was formally named the Republican nominee. The transition team now moved into an office in downtown Washington, D.C. and went looking for people to occupy the top 500 jobs in the federal government. They needed to fill all of the cabinet positions, of course, but also a whole bunch of others that no one in the Trump campaign even knew existed. It's not obvious how you find the next Secretary of State, much less the next Secretary of Transportation. Never mind who should sit on the Board of Trustees of the Barry Goldwater Scholarship and Excellence in Education Foundation. By August, 130 people were showing up every day and hundreds more working part-time at Trump Transition Headquarters at the corner of 17th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue. The transition team made lists of likely candidates for all 500 jobs. 
plus other lists of informed people to roll into the various federal agencies the day after the election to be briefed on whatever the federal agencies were doing. They gathered the names for these lists by traveling the country and talking to people, Republicans who had served in government, Trump's closest advisors, recent occupants of the jobs that needed filling. Then they set about investigating any candidates for glaring flaws and embarrassing secrets and conflicts of interest. At the end of each week, Christie handed over binders with lists of names of people who might do the job well to Jared and Donald and Eric and the others. They probed everything, says a senior Trump transition official. Who is this person? Where did this person come from? They only ever rejected one person, Paul Manafort's secretary. The first time Donald Trump paid attention to any of this was when he read about it in the newspaper. The story revealed that Trump's very own transition team, led by New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, had raised several million dollars to pay for its own staff. The moment he saw it, Trump called Steve Bannon, the chief executive of his campaign from his office on the 26th floor of the Trump Tower, and told him to come immediately to his residence many floors above. Bannon stepped off the elevator to find the governor of New Jersey seated on a sofa, being hollered at. Trump was apoplectic, actually yelling, you're stealing my money. You're stealing my effing money. What the F is this? Seeing Bannon, Trump turned on him and screamed, why are you letting him steal my effing money? Bannon and Christie together set out to explain to Trump federal law. It continues from there. The book is The Fifth Risk by Michael Lewis. It is that time of the year again. You know, the holidays, family, friends, photos, videos capturing every laugh, every smile, and every under-eye bag. What? Under-eye bags? Wrinkles? Crow's feet? You know, all those telltale signs of aging front and center on your holiday cards and photos. Now, imagine that they're gone. Poof! In minutes. No risky, expensive surgery. Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. Don't believe it? Try it. You'll look just like you, only 10 years younger. Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them, including that judgmental family member. You know the one. Just in time for the holidays, go to Plexiderm.com and use my code Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, -N, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-741-7998. That's 1-800-741-7998. Again, that's 1-800-741-7998 or visit Plexiderm.com today and use my code Hartman with two N's at checkout. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And boy, what an amazing time, right? What, what an amazing time we live in. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. Congressman Pocan is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, along with Pramila Jayapal. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. In the U.S. House of Representatives, his website, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep, as in Representative Rep Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. So one of the big uh, whiny complaints that I'm hearing from Snowflake Republicans who occasionally call into the program, and you, but you see them in the media, too, is that this impeachment hearing is making it impossible for Congress to do the people's business. <laughs> is that true? No, I, you know, that's something that we get asked. Our local Republicans in Wisconsin are all doing the same talking points that they're doing nationally. And, uh, you know, nothing could be farther from the truth. This is one where they got to be real careful because you can get fact-checked and just slammed down very quickly. Uh, we have passed over 275 bipartisan, bipartisan bills out of the House of Representatives that we've sent to the Senate, and I think they've acted on about 15% of them. And, you know, we passed all 12 appropriation bills in committee, 10 of the 12 appropriation bills on the floor of Congress before the August break. We're still waiting for the Senate to do much of anything on that. We're past the end of the fiscal year. So we've been doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, we're going to pass a giant prescription drug bill in the coming weeks. We've been passing bills right and left. The problem is we have a Senate that, Tom, this is actually what Mitch McConnell told Nancy Pelosi when they went to meet about the budget. He said, I can't do anything the president doesn't want. So he's giving up his Article 1 separate 
the wow. branch of government responsibilities, completely giving the car keys to the congressional car to another branch of government. To dear leader. And uh, we're just yeah, waiting for things to happen. So the Republicans, when they say that, it just shows how desperate they are to try to, to have a different focus because they are just dead wrong on the facts, the numbers, and it's easy to disprove them. That's astonishing. So for people who uh, might have just been tuning in, Congressman Mark Pocan is with us taking your calls. And should we pick up some phone calls here? Oh, absolutely. Love oh. to. Okay, Steve in St. Genevieve, Missouri. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, Congressman Pocan. I've been thinking about this. You know, I do like Joe Biden. I wouldn't necessarily pick him. But just on the off chance, if they did find dirt on him and his son, would that really affect the Democratic election? Well, Steve, first of all, I mean, there's already been several investigations and there's nothing there. This is Lindsey Graham. I know everyone's going to be shocked uh, doing the president's bidding once again, as apparently one of his little elves this holiday season by trying to dig up dirt on the Bidens because uh, we couldn't get, I guess, other foreign leaders to do it. Yeah, He just, it, he it, just requested, really... just to, to clarify, Lindsey Graham yeah. just requested yeah. of the State Department that they turn over to him their investigation into Biden and Biden's son and, and all that stuff from back from during the Obama administration. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. So Lindsey yeah. Graham is like actually trying to, it, it, since the president couldn't effectively get the president of the Ukraine or other foreign leaders to do his dirty work, right. uh, he now has one of his little elves being more than willing to make uh, he's gonna uh, his, do it himself. his boss happy. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So he's just going to do it himself. And so that's already been disproven, Steve. I think, you know, we just need to hold tight on this. I mean, for real people watching what's going on, it is now completely crystal clear that the president asked a foreign leader to dig up dirt on a political opponent, and he admits he did that. He clearly withheld aid to the country until they would announce an investigation on that, wouldn't have a meeting with the president for a photo shoot until... He would do this for months. It's not one phone call. For months of activity, he had his administration, including top-ranking people from the vice president to Secretary Pompeo and others involved in this. And now it's, it's crystal clear to anyone who actually wants to listen or think. For the rest, they're going to think what they think no matter what about the president. But for everyone else, I think now we've got that message out there. We need to do our job in the House. I doubt the Senate will do the job they're supposed to, but that's all right. The facts are now out there that we know we have a president who not only has betrayed his oath of office, but has broke the law, and he thinks he's above the law. And I think at the end of the day, that doesn't sit well with people when they have to vote next November. Shay in Jacksonville, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'm in Florida, where we are used to the shenanigans of the Republicans. And I just wanted to ask why we are not talking about protecting our elections to a very high level. Ivanka Trump won patents from China for election machine software. And two, the GOP has decided to ignore all evidence brought forth, and they wholly support Trump no matter what in the impeachment. So do you think that the Democrats just need to make this as a full indictment against the entire GOP and the open corruption that they're all participating in? And I would just love to see the media or the Democrats um, play the clip with George Stephanopoulos and Trump in the Oval with him saying that he would accept foreign dirt on an opponent. It's nothing new that he is doing. Right. So could you please address that? And you all have a very happy and blessed Thanksgiving. And Democrats, get out and support your local chapters. We need everyone on the ground. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. I, you know, I, I think what you're seeing happen, and we watched it this week, even by Republicans who, you know, were considered somewhat reasonable by other standards, people like Will Hurd, that, you know, this is something they are in full damage control mode. There's no way they can defend what the president did. They won't put any witnesses that could prove any innocence because there's no innocence to present. So they've gone after the process. They've gone after the chairperson. And they're going after saying somehow things aren't happening because we're busy doing this, which is disproven simply by that 275 bills that are bipartisan that we've sent to the Senate that are waiting action because the Senate won't act on things. They're in a bad place. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, when people look at what Mitch McConnell and some of those Republicans in the Senate are going to say on top of watching the, the buffoonery of how the Republicans behaved on the committee, I mean, when you have to put Jim Jordan on a committee to be your MVP, your pinch hitter, you're 
not doing so well. And I think the American public really can kind of look at what's happening and realize it's not just Donald Trump who broke the law and thinks he's above the law and wants to get away with this. It's the entire Republican Party is now a cult. And the cult leader is Donald Trump. They're not a conservative political party anymore. They are a cult. And there is going to be, I think, long-term prices to be paid for that. Mike in Chicago here on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Good day to you all. My question is in regards to all the bills that are presently sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk and the optimistic, uh, hopeful event in 2020 that Congress completely flips Democratic. Are all those bills that are sitting on his desk going to have to go through the House again to be sent back to the Senate? And also, with all the events of this impeachment, with the refusal of uh, subpoenas and so forth, is there any legislation that's in the works to deal with these possible scenarios not to happen again in the future. Yeah, to the second one, I'm just going to address it pretty quickly, which is, you know, part of the problem is just it's a legal process, and we can't necessarily reform the entire legal process. When the Republicans went after Eric Holder, seven years later they got resolution on something. That is part of the problem. But it's not easy just to change with a simple law change. So I think you're going to have some of that exist. Some of it we can probably make sure it works better, but some of it's still going to be just through our system of laws. It's going to be difficult. On the other question you asked, Mike, everything would have to be be passed again by another House to go to the new Senate makeup after 2020, should that happen. So you would have to get those bills uh, done. Having said that, uh, once you've got someone's already voted on them, I think feel pretty confident that they would pass through the House pretty quickly and we'd be able to get that done. So just reboot the whole process. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's hope. <laughs> let's hope. Yeah. Knock wood here. <laughs> Congressman Pocan is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him, tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Morris in Long Beach, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman, listen, I need you to come to my church on Sunday and get at uh, uh, that sermon you just gave about the Republican cult. We're going to call it the Republican cult, the false disciples. Okay? So that was really outstanding. That's what they are. But anyway, I want to let you all know that Adam Schiff did a super job with that committee. They tried their best to disrupt it, like they did the underground hearings, and he was firm. He came across real, real strong in control. Nancy Pelosi doing a super job, but you guys are doing a great job. But don't stop with this. Now, the next time you impeach him, and there's no law that say you can't go through this again, you go with the emoluments boss. And if they dare bring in that guy, Hunter Biden, then you bring in the president's children when you're, when you're going down with the emoluments thing. And thank you, Congressman Pocan. You, my man, keep it going. Talk to you later. You too, John. Thank, thank you, you, Morris. Yeah, thank you, Morris. I, and I agree. Adam Schiff, I, you know, quite honestly, I don't know how he stays that calm. Um, yeah. He must have, like, the lowest blood pressure in the city uh, of Washington, D.C. Oh, it's like they kept trying when to provoke he, him. I know. It was he's, incredible. he's so good at it. I think I would probably have been uh, not as strong as him in doing what he did. So I give him a lot of credit on it. And, Morris, you're right. I mean, I think we just have to get that point out. And I think, again, real people can observe this. So Republicans think real, that, that the American people aren't very smart. That's why they put up these lies like, oh, they're not getting anything done because we're stuck in impeachment. And yet, you know, the facts uh, completely counter what they're saying. The fact that they can't defend the president, but they want to talk about process or other things because they know the president broke the law and that what we're doing is the right thing. And I think the American people can understand when someone broke the law. If it doesn't pass the smell test, generally people can tell that. And I think that's what's happening right now. So I appreciate your comments, and I really think we have to get that point across. This is not the Republican Party anymore. I've been in government for 26, 27 years. There's never been a time where Republicans so blindly would follow any one person, even when they're in the middle of breaking laws, and do whatever they say, and give up their responsibility as a co-equal branch of government to do things even like a budget, like Mitch McConnell's doing, what he told Nancy Pelosi in her office. That is unprecedented, and I think we just need to make sure we all remember that, not only in November 2020, but in our local elections and as we talk to our local elected officials, we have to hold them accountable. Yeah. My dad, who has passed away now, but was a Republican his whole life, literally to the day he died, would not recognize this Republican Party. He was an Eisenhower Republican. He, and, you know, he was a machinist. He was in the union, all that kind of stuff. 
it seems to me that the real corruption of the Republican Party happened in the wake of the Buckley, the 76 Buckley decision and the 78 First National Bank decision, when the Supreme Court said that billionaires owning politicians or corporations owning politicians was actually protected First Amendment free speech. And all that money poured into the Republican Party in 79 and 80 for the 1980 election for Reagan. And that was when it started. Do you, do you think uh, differently? No, I, I think that absolutely was the catalyst. And then you throw on top of it Newt Gingrich and what he did to Congress. Right. I think he was the pivotal point there that it has changed significantly. And don't forget redistricting, as we say this, too. I just like to always keep that. I think that is one of the most significant issues we've got to address. Yeah. Uh, gerrymandering, in other words. Gerrymandering, yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. gerrymandering. Yeah, no, it's redistricting. A, it's, it's, yeah. redistricting is just a word that you guys use. <laughs> yeah, it's our, yeah, it's, it's our technical sorry, term. Sorry. There you yeah. go. Congressman Mark Pocan with us. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. Stick around. In our special video... I am talking about how the House Democrats are coming up with basically, so far what we know is they're, they're basically going to come up with this one big impeachment story, which is that Donald Trump was running a bribery and extortion scheme with Ukraine or against Ukraine in order to flip the 2020 election, in order to help get himself reelected. And that's pretty bad. But we're missing a whole bunch of things that I think, frankly, should be included in the articles of impeachment, whether it's defying campaign finance laws, you know, Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, or whether it's uh, the emoluments stuff. This is, you know, explicitly barred by the Constitution, whether it's defying Congress, whether it's refusing to follow the law that says that, for example, the head of the Ways Means Committee gets to see his taxes. Check it out at TomHartman.com. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. And Pam in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman. Hi, Pam. Hey. My concern is uh, with impeachment. But first, let me say regarding the Republican Party, for me, they're a political hate group. And whenever, wherever, I want all of them out of office, Tom, and I I'm just done with it. I don't even... I think we should just eliminate them, and I mean politically, vote them out of office. Donald Trump is a white nationalist, and as a black woman, that scares me tremendously. Regarding impeachment, congressmen, please make sure the appropriate message gets out. I think we have to talk about the national security, and please tell the public what we need to do, because we have to do some work to ensure that the Senate removes Trump. Now, I know if we put some pressure on these retailers around this Christmas holiday, I think that would apply some pressure. But tell the public what do we need to do to, to get our sentiment across. I don't care what the polls say, because, Tom, you see they're saying, well, the polls don't support impeachment. Like crap, they don't. Yeah, because the people want him held accountable. Actually, what do we do. need to do? Thank you, Pam. <laughs> yeah, Pam. So the, like the two points. First of all, I really appreciate bringing up the national security point because at the end of the day, that's what this was: was risking our national security by making a president or any individual's political goals, personal political goals, go over the country's national security interests. Congress had approved funding for the Ukraine and ally because they needed it, because the, Russia is dealing very directly with them. And he held up that money in order to get political dirt for his personal political gain. And that was a national security risk. And he thinks he's above the law off of that. So it's so important that that part is mentioned. Secondly, I think what the public's role is, especially in getting the Senate to do this, is everyone has to reach out to their U.S. senators and make their voices heard. Because even though I think they're going to likely operate in a very partisan way uh, for the Republicans, because we've already heard how Mitch McConnell is giving up his responsibilities as a separate branch of government when it comes to our budget right now. I think they're going to act the same way, but they need to know that they're acting counter to where the public support is. So people absolutely need to reach out, and I would even say reach out early and often uh, to those senators to make sure that they understand there's an intensity to where the public stands. Bill in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, gentlemen. I uh, want to thank both hey, of you first for the work you do. It's very frustrating, but it's uh, very worthwhile to know that 
you know, justice and freedom is still out there somewhere. Two visuals kind of stand out for me. One, Elise walking up. I can't remember who the uh, representative Elise Stefan. Yeah, and who the representative was who she went up during a break and was going to greet him, and his look afterwards was <laughs> quite stone cold, and mm-hmm. he was befuddled that she would come over. The second is Lindsey Graham walking away from a vet. I saw that online today, and he was just asking Lindsey to uphold the oath that he took. So along dovetailing with that, please, please, tell me that there are going to be floods of times that people go out and do town halls during their breaks because I don't see the GOP doing that and the Dems need to show that you know the public is on their side. So I'll hang up and listen. Thanks again for your help. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, Bill, I, I agree with you. A lot of the visuals on the Republican side, it, it's been pretty awful. Even it builds a constituent because Madison's in my district. One of our more responsible Republicans in my home state of Wisconsin, Tom, was spinning that myth just today about uh, that we're not doing anything because we're you know somehow impaired because of the impeachment process. And as I've explained those numbers to you, it's, it's completely false. So even people who generally are of good will are acting poorly because they're being instructed to by their leadership. They know that their fate is largely tied to the president's. But rather than standing up and doing the right thing as a co-equal branch of government, they're just, again, becoming this cult and doing whatever the president wants. So I think those visuals are really important. And, uh, Bill, I think you know one of the things we're doing is we make sure and whenever people get back home, we're talking to our local press because that way on local news, people will see us talking about the impeachment, putting the truth out there. And I think when people see that, first of all, they're seeing the visuals nationally, but then when they hear it from people they know from their communities, their local member of Congress, I think that's the most effective thing we can do, and we're going to keep doing between now and the Senate taking this up. Typically, do uh, members of the House, uh, at least Democrats anyway, do town halls during the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays? No, because uh, people are not around and they don't attend. So I think, Uh, you know, you'll see a new batch start up again probably about the time uh, should, you know, from what my guess is, should the Senate be taking this up, that's probably a chance you'll see that happening. Okay. Thank you, Congressman. Today, we're reading about Thunderdome politics, an uncivil war taking back our democracy in an age of Trumpian disinformation and Thunderdome politics by Greg Sargent, the Washington Post columnist. This is from his chapter on voter suppression. It's page 37. Republicans and Democrats inhabit different political realities, as mentioned in a previous chapter. But there are certain facts about our politics that are just objectively true. One of them is this. Generally speaking, efforts to make it harder to vote are almost always pushed by Republicans. You cannot understand what is happening in American politics right now without recognizing this stark and very fundamental difference between the two major political parties. During this decade, procedural hurdles were put into place in around 20 states that in some manner or other have made it harder to vote or to register to vote or have undone previous efforts to make voting or registering easier or have otherwise threatened serious disenfranchisement. Most of them were the creation of Republican lawmakers and officials. The difference in the two parties' national platforms for 2016 tells the story. The GOP platform champions additional hurdles that are absurdly disproportionate to the phantom abuse it alleges, while the Democratic platform champions multiple specific ways to make it easier to vote, not harder. The most common and controversial of methods used by Republicans to suppress Democratic turnout is the requirement that would-be voters present identification at the polls. The game here tends to turn on requiring forms of ID that some groups are less likely to have, making participation harder for them. Other restrictions include techniques like cutting back on early voting and making it harder to register, both of which have, in recent years, been instituted in multiple states. Republicans who have passed laws making it harder to vote have tended to claim such measures are necessary to protect against, quote, voter fraud. We'll look at this in more detail below, but for now, notes that Note that most of the states that have passed such measures did so while under Republican control. As New York University political scientist Samuel Isikoff has memorably put it, the single predictor necessary to determine whether a state will impose voter access restrictions is whether Republicans control the ballot access process. Scholars trace the modern era of warfare over election rules to the intensely contested presidential election of 2000, 
in which a divided Supreme Court halted the recount in Florida, throwing the presidency to George W. Bush. The closeness and partisan acrimony of that contest, combined with the intense national focus on election rules that accompany the court battle over it, helped persuade both parties to invest much more attention and energy on those rules. As a result, both the implementation of measures restricting the ballot and the legal battles over them have intensified in recent years. A brief glance at the surprising history of voter ID laws begins to tell the story of this tightening. In the 1970s, several states implemented voter ID measures, but all of them provided for ways that voters without the proper ID could cast a ballot. By 2000, there were 14 such laws, and they had been implemented by politicians in both parties. But by the mid-2000s, amid rising post-2000 acrimony, a handful of red states began implementing voter ID laws that the nonpartisan National Conference of State Legislatures described as, quote, strict, meaning that they make it easy to disqualify those who don't pass muster. After one of those laws in Indiana was challenged and then upheld in 2008 by the Supreme Court, an escalation began that gained momentum in the Obama era. From 2010 onward, the adoption of voter ID laws in general and of strict ones in particular accelerated. Not all these efforts bore fruit, but many did. By the time voting took place in Election Day 2016, some 14 states had these new restrictions in place for the first time in a presidential election. This narrative contains some important truths. Some of the forms that these restrictions on voting access have taken in recent years are diabolically obvious in their efforts to keep constituencies supportive of Democrats from voting. Still others boast the distinction of being more insidiously designed and thus less obvious in their intentions. The book is An Uncivil War by Greg Sargent of The Washington Post. Helen in Fairmont, West Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, everybody. I wanted to ask if Trump is impeached by the House, which it looks like he will be. Can he still pardon people? I believe, I have no reason not to believe what I'm going to give as an answer. Tom, correct me if you know anything differently, but, you know, if we just impeach him in the House and the Senate doesn't do anything to remove him, I don't think any of his powers change whatsoever. So he would still be in a position to pardon people. And I think there's a number of people around him, since so many people around him seem to go to jail, that are kind of counting on that. So I think that's absolutely a possibility. What I know about this is that it's never been adjudicated. It's never been before the Supreme Court. But Article 2, Section 2 does say he shall have, it's, you know, powers of the president, he shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, comma, except in cases of impeachment. Now, I don't know, and I haven't been able to find anybody who knows exactly what that means. Does that mean that when the president's being impeached, he can't pardon people who might testify against him? Or does that mean that if a, uh, a United States senator is yeah. being impeached, he can't pardon that senator or something like that? I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's a good question. But I don't see if the Senate didn't do the job that would essentially say the person is removed. I think just like Bill Clinton still had uh, powers of pardon, I think you'd see the same thing happen with Donald Trump. Yeah, once the vote was over, I think that there's no doubt that yeah. he gets that power back. Um, Alan, in Minneapolis, you're listening on AM 950. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, it's good to talk to you both. I just had two quick points I wanted to make. The first is I go right along with what you guys say when you call this a cult, and I think we really need to call this out on television whenever possible. You know, any, any Congress people that make it onto TV need to emphasize that. And the same goes for something Tom was going uh, for earlier, which was that I've heard you talk about this before, that the center of American politics is on the left, as Robert Reich wrote, and I think that that is one of the most important articles I've read in this era. I think that people like Warren and Sanders are being marginalized because they're being called far left when they're actually mainstream. And we really, really need to push that. I think that's so important right now. And I just want to leave that with you guys. And thank you for your time. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, Alan, I think this is why progressives uh, think uh, in a similar way, and, and you are exactly where the Progressive Caucus is at. We've been very frustrated for probably the last, you know, four to six weeks with this narrative that somehow Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are too progressive to get elected in this country, when poll after poll after poll, whether it be choice, gun violence, 
taxing the wealthy, Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, go down the list. All of those are at minimum 55, more likely 60 to 70 percent public support issues, not among Democrats in a primary, but among the general public, which is that means those are the mainstream ideas, not what somehow some of the special interests want to change the narrative a little bit as they're looking at our Democratic primary and trying to say who can and can't win not based on what you and I are talking about. So right now, Pramila Jayapal, who's my co-chair, and I are taking this issue very seriously. We're actually right now crafting a piece that we're trying to make sure that we can start having to talk about on this very issue, because neither one of us have endorsed anyone. We just want to push back on this very, very false narrative that's done to basically take down uh, Bernie and Elizabeth. And uh, the reality is that people are lying and really stretching the poll numbers to say anything other than progressive values are mainstream values. Yeah, just before the debate, I was watching MSNBC and Steve Schmidt was on. He's a Republican consultant, right? right? And he says, if Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, I'm paraphrasing from memory here, if Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren are the party's nominees, then Donald Trump is going to walk away with this thing. And Claire McCaskill is sitting next to him and she's nodding her head. And she says, yes, I think that that would be a real problem. And it's like, I'm screaming at the TV going, that's such BS. And in yeah. fact, it caused me to say, screw this. And I went to CNN and they had Van Jones on there who will push back against that kind of crap. And Louise and I just gave up on MSNBC. We listened to Van Jones or we listened to CNN for all the commentary afterwards. I mean, it's just infuriating. Well, I just saw a national poll this week, Tom, and I don't remember who did the poll, but it was a national presidential poll where the only person beating Trump in their poll was Bernie Sanders. I believe Elizabeth Warren was tie. And then after that came, I think, Buttigieg and Biden losing to Trump by different percents. Yeah. Again, if all the information says that, people are just putting out a completely false narrative because, again, a lot of the special interests don't want it to be true. It's just the American people want it to be true. And I think we have to push back more as progressives on those points. Yeah, I'm with you. Bernie in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, hi, good afternoon from there, Pittsburgh. Okay, I voted for the Democrats last year to give them power, and I don't feel that they're using it. Mulvaney and those surrounding the president you never hear anything except the courts. And to my knowledge, there is a jail in the bottom of the Capitol. And if the Republicans were in power, they would do anything, anything. Like with Garland, I just can't get over Garland right now. I mean, they'll do anything to stay in power. Why aren't the Democrats went after Mulvaney and all the other people around Trump putting them in jail for a day or two. Let them think things over. Thank you, Bernie. Yeah, Bernie, so I've probably addressed this a couple dozen times on the show, so I'll do a short version, but I'd ask you maybe to Google it and you can get a little more in-depth about it. But it's not as easy as that. It's not like you can just throw someone in a jail because, first of all, we have to have funds appropriated, and that means you have to, with the House and the Senate, have funds appropriated. You have to change the House rules as well. So it may be that there is a former jail there. It's not like you can instantly use it. On the legal side, for example, criminal contempt has to go through the Attorney General's office. There's no way this Attorney General is going to do that. Civil contempt has to go through the court system. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, there was a case where the Republicans went after Eric Holder, got resolved maybe three, four months ago after seven years. None of these things happen very fast. So what we're doing is we've been able to very successfully, to Adam Schiff's credit, getting a lot of people to testify that Donald Trump didn't want to testify. And for those who don't, we're going to add that to the articles of impeachment because people are trying to obstruct the investigation by not showing up. So we're not getting things that we're not getting in other places, but it's not as easy as some people fantasize how we can do it. Yeah, if only it were, huh? <laughs> I wish. It's, I it's, wish. It's uh, and and I and I think that that is this is this something you think that may be addressed in the next Congress? Well, some of it we can't, like the legal system you can't, some right. things you might be able to, but we should really have Jerry Nadler write this up, because Jerry did a wonderful job yeah. of explaining just why it's so I mean, like authorizing inherent sure. contempt or something. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Maybe I can get Jerry and Nadler to come on the program sometime and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, that would be awesome. There you go. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Becky in Portland, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Thank you, Mr. Hartman. Congressman Polkan, I was just wondering if you thought that there would be any follow-up or investigation into Congressman Nunez's connection with Lev Parnas that was added to the record of the impeachment inquiry by uh, Congressman Swalwell. Yeah, Becky, I couldn't tell you offhand. That was very, very recent. But every time there's one of these new paths that's opened up, as we have different people testify, don't forget we've got about six different committees that have some oversight in this area that can take on some of that work. And they're going to continue doing what they've been doing in that area. I can't tell you which committee might or what that path would be, but I think every time we've had a new road opened up, someone has gone down that to find out what else is in there. And I think this is certainly one of the possibilities when it comes to Devin Nunez. Jim in Los Angeles, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Tom. Hey, Congressman. I recently met with Daniel Sheehan, who wrote the articles of impeachment for Nixon, and Adam Schiff is my congressman. I asked Daniel point blank if Adam asked him if he would help write the articles of impeachment for Trump, and he said yes. And then he said something else, if everyone should contribute. And I was wondering if you could begin emoluments investigation, you yourself. We need comprehensive articles of impeachment. Yeah, Jim, so specifically on emoluments, that already has been... It's under the jurisdiction of judiciary, and they've been doing some work, and they're going to continue doing work on that. I think right now we are in a moment, this very specific situation is what's moving expeditiously, and I think this is what likely will come before Congress in December. But that doesn't say that all of the investigations, whether it be emoluments, whether it be the tax records, whether it be still work within the Mueller investigation around Russia, won't be continuing by the committees that have that proper jurisdiction. It's not really up to an individual member to do that, but it's up to the committees. And judiciary absolutely has been working on and will continue to work on emoluments. Paul in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'd like to ask about long-term strategies and way to set up goals that are appropriate. Um, I grew up in the religious mainstream, and at the end of the service, they'd say, hold fast to that which is good. How do we hold fast when we have a world that is spinning out of control? The governor of Oregon, when when they got him out of office, Kitzhaber, it took a long time. And um, it's more of a marathon than a sprint to get through our constitutional processes. How do you think our focus should be so that the people in the center of the right wing aren't alienated by what's going on in our country? Great question, to, uh, Paul. Let's, let's, get, let's get the answer here. Sure, Paul. I, I just think we need to keep our focus on what people talk about, which are the issues that affect them and their families uh, at a core level. You know, do they... I'm going to run out of time here, but I I think there's ways that we can absolutely do that, and we are doing that. I'm not too concerned on that front, Paul, to be perfectly honest. You were were talking about keeping a focus on health care and education. Health care and and their economic issues. What the polling has shown us, again, are those people are there in a core progressive issues. As long as we continue to talk about those issues, we're talking to voters. That's great. So for our Tom Harbin Insider private video that's available over at TomHarbin.com, I'm talking this week about Donald Trump just completely giving in to Erdogan of Turkey, the president of Turkey, the dictator of Turkey now, and this theory that Jared Kushner okayed the killing, at least the capture, perhaps the killing of Jamal Khashoggi to Mohammed bin Salman, and that Erdogan has the tape of it. And that when he called up Donald Trump a couple weeks ago and said, I want you to pull out of Syria and give me those Kurds so I can kill them and take that land, that he did it because Erdogan threatened him. And then Erdogan comes to the United States a week or two later and gets a whole state dinner thing. Check it all out. It's over at TomHartman.com. I think you'll find it fascinating. Congressman Mark Pocan is taking your calls here on the Tom Hartman program. Let's see here. Bart in Bellevue, Washington. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, Mark and Tom and Foggy Bellevue here. (laughs) So I have two points, if I may. Number one, on getting the message out. You did an excellent job, Mark, on getting the message out with the facts about the bills passed and all that. And I think it's time that we had a thing like Huxley used to call point counterpoint. 
and you get both sides in the same room at the same time, facing, facing to each other, and giving points out there without them having five minutes, and then you have five minutes. No, no, it's got to be back and forth so people can see who is telling the truth. That's number one. And you got to get on Republican media to do that. I'm just wondering what's your response to that, and I have one more question, if I may. Well, we have, we have one per caller, Bart, because there's a whole bunch of people behind you. Yeah, Bart, let me address that. I think you're right. In fact, that's generally what the media is for, right? They're supposed to then, when two when people have different positions on an issue, if there are facts that you can put out there about that, that's what the press is supposed to do. Fortunately for us right now, the Republicans are so factless that this current argument they have has absolutely no grounding, that nothing is happening because of the impeachment. Right now, the only committee that's dealing with this is the Intelligence Committee. We have 20 other standing committees that are passing bills, and we've been passing them on the floor of Congress. In fact, uh, 275 bipartisan bills with a bipartisan vote that have gone to the Senate. Things like overall bills we've passed have been raising the minimum wage, the Equality Act, dealing with paycheck equity, women making 80 cents on the dollar to men, getting back into the Paris Climate Agreement, gun violence prevention, prescription drug bills to lower the cost of prescription drugs, bills to protect people with pre-existing conditions so they can keep their health insurance, and on and on and on. And I think that is a really good point, Bart. The more we get that across and people can see what Mitch McConnell is sitting on and refusing to take up because Donald Trump is immobilized right now by the impeachment, then I think we can really convince people that not only are they not telling the truth, but they're probably not telling the truth about a whole lot of other things. Would it be a good idea to create a, a website and a whole meme and campaign, something like called, you know, Republican Obstruction and maybe even some billboards, but certainly a website that just basically lists what you just said? I don't have that, you know, list handy in front of me. If I did, I would be reciting it every day, and I don't know where to go to find it. Yeah, Tom, so we just actually got that new number this week, and, and uh, whatever we have, I will be glad to share with you. Yeah, the names um, of the bills, I, I yeah. just, or the, the purpose of the bills, rather. Yeah, because we had 240 up to the August break, and I think it was 238, actually, that I was talking about when I did my uh, town halls around that period of time. And the Senate had only passed 60 bills during that same time, and they only taken up, I think it was 15% of the bills we've sent over there. So, right. I mean, clearly we've been doing a ton of stuff, including, you know, our fiscal year in September 30th. We passed every single appropriation bill out of committee, 10 of the 12 on the floor of Congress prior to that August break, and the Senate hadn't done a single thing yet. So it's, it's almost like they live in this doublespeak world where whatever they're saying actually is what they're doing, but that's the world under Donald Trump, right? Yeah, and yeah. then when you say throw in the words but like we've got news, but we have to tell people about this. I mean, we yeah, have to tell absolutely. people about this. Frank yeah. in Woodland, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Happy holidays, Congressman and Tom. Thank you. And you, uh, uh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Quickly, I just want to say, first of all, Chairman Schiff just ran circles around uh, Midnight Run Nunez. That was brilliant. <laughs> just the entire uh, yeah. the other day. But to, more to my point, are you guys going to open up investigations, at least the lower chamber, as far as this whole deal with Secretary Perry? I mean, at least the ethics or maybe the IG or something or regarding the deal that he worked out for uh, one of his campaign donors, if you're aware of that. Yeah. In Ukraine. Yeah, Frank. Sure. In general, Frank, I think as we get new information that's been coming out as we do these various hearings, there are six committees that probably have the most direct jurisdiction over anything in, in Trump land, so to speak, and they all take on various pieces that fall under their jurisdiction. They've been doing this already, and they will continue to do this. Right now, we're in a very specific moment around the call and the several months of activity in Ukraine where the president has basically withheld their aid or wouldn't do a photo shoot with them until they announced an investigation after so he could get dirt on a political opponent. He wanted them to manufacture that dirt, or at least the looks, the appearance of that. And I think that's what we're acting on right now. But everything else is going to continue. It's not like the committees are suddenly going to stop doing what's under their purview. They're going to keep doing it. And I'm especially looking at things like the emoluments clause violations. I think the president has made a ton of money, including from the government, uh, in an improper way, as you should be president. His tax returns, clearly this guy's got something to hide. And I think once those are public, that's going to be interesting. And a whole lot of other areas, including what happened and was covered in the Mueller report. So it's not like we don't have the work to do. It's probably more of a capacity issue on how much we can get done. Jan in Bradenton, Florida, we have less than a minute. A real quick question for Congressman Pocan. Hey, I appreciate this, Tom. 
and Mark, I appreciate, or Congressman Pocan. I have a quick question. Yeah, I want to know, does anybody see the problem with Pete Buttigieg cozying up with Mark Zuckerberg with his big support behind the Republicans and Donald Trump? Honestly, I don't know if I have a specific point to say on that other than if I can take it a slightly different direction is, you know, our concern right now, and by our, I mean the CPC, is that we can get this proper information out there that maybe some candidates are putting out there, whether it be attacks on Medicare for All or the Green New Deal or other issues that have wide popular support. We want to make sure people realize the public really want these and it's the special interest of pushing back and hopefully candidates don't repeat special interest talking points or GOP talking points when they're running in a Democratic primary. Congressman Pocan, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, of course, Tom. Thank you, as always. Great talking with you. Same here. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.